Hey there, I'm Sam, and welcome to Swag Space, a one-woman podcast show where you'll find fun, informative analyses on all of my favorite things. While the show will mainly focus on entertainment topics like books, TV, and movies, no topic is really off-limits here. Be warned, most episodes will contain spoilers on the topic at hand, and, much to my mother's dismay, I swear like a sailor, consider yourselves warned. Now, on to today's episode. For my first ever episode, I decided to do a reread of Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros in anticipation of the second book's release, Iron Flames, on November 7th. It took a lot of self-control not to immediately jump back into a reread of it after finishing it the first time because of all of those Easter eggs she left in throughout the book that we were all looking back on and either kicking ourselves because we didn't catch it or thought some things were suspicious. I think once I go back and reread this, I'm going to catch so many more clues and have a ton more theories on the direction of the story, so I'm really excited to dig back into it. I thought it would be a good idea to first establish my initial thoughts and feelings after my first time reading it, and that way I can kind of compare to see if anything shifted between my two rereads, because that sometimes happens with me. The first major thing to note is that I am a huge fan of this series. I am very excited for book two. It is easily going to be one of my top reads of 2023. I'm not sure if it's going to be a top five, but definitely top 10 that I've read this year. I don't know about you guys, but I'm really not that surprised with the hype surrounding Fourth Wing. There is a nostalgia about the content and the style of this book that feels very reminiscent to me of things like Hunger Games, Harry Potter, Aragon, Divergence, and Twilight, and I think that really hits hits that 2010 teenage age gap as adults now in 2023. I mean, this book kind of has it all. It is a fantasy setting with fantasy creatures. It is spicy and romantic. It has an intriguing, bigger conflict outside of the school that we're at. And while I've seen some people make the argument that it doesn't feel fantasy enough, it has a little bit more of a urban fantasy feel, which is personally my favorite genre, so it doesn't bother me, but I can see why people are a little turned off from it. And while I am a fan of Fourth Wing, and obviously I'm looking forward to book two coming out next month, I do have a few reservations, and I'm curious to see if the next book in this series is going to continue living up to its hype. I feel like the second book is really going to be the deciding factor on its trajectory. So I went ahead and made a list of the things that I am specifically hoping to either get more clues, information, context about going into this. The first and the biggest, I think for all of us, is anything to do with Dane. It was funny, I had one of my friends, as she was reading it, texting me, Dane really touches Violet a lot. And it was so funny because I didn't even catch it the first time around, and here she was noticing it. And I'm really excited to look at them from the lens of, who Dane really is. I think we all kind of knew going into it that he was not going to be it, but for that level of betrayal that we witnessed was just absolutely heart-wrenching, and I don't know how I'm going to do rereading this. We will find out. The next thing on my list is I would love some more clarification on Brennan and his dragon. 
because I thought Brennan's death was a little suspicious and I couldn't really put my finger on why. I totally had it in my head that Brennan's dragon was still at the school ready for a new rider. So I'm very curious to get clarification on his storyline. Another one is Violet's mother. I really don't know how to feel about her right now. Part of me thinks that she's 100% in on it and the villain, but especially with the context of her choosing last minute to throw Violet into the writer's quadrant, that just doesn't add up to me. And maybe there's going to be an explanation, but I just do not trust her right now. The other big one is obviously anything to do with Zayden. So I pretty much called from the war games to the end of the book. I pretty much guessed everything that was going to happen down to Liam's death and his dragons. I guessed Brennan making that return. I guessed Zayden's morally gray storyline popping out at that point because I realized we never gotten clarity on what that meeting was that Violet was creeping on at the beginning of the book. So I'm very curious to see if there are any clues from Taryn's perspective, especially because he was a part of that betrayal for her. And I really am looking forward to re-examining Zayden and Violet's relationship as a whole because there were times where they felt a little clunky to me. I don't know if it was I wasn't reading the action speak louder than words, which is very much Zayden's show of affection to Violet, and I wasn't really reading into that, but I am very curious to re-examine it because I do love them. But yeah, something felt a little off at times, and I'm wondering if this reread is either going to smooth it over or it's going to make it much more obvious for me. The last element that I feel like I didn't get a lot of clarity on reading it the first time is I do not understand the school ranking of all the different leaders. I understand that there's going to be like the section leader, then there's a wing leader. I understand that Zayden is above Dane and it just is not very clear to me. And I'm hoping that that was an oversight on me just trying to devour this book after waiting months to get my hands on a copy. So I will definitely be circling back on that point as I read. So I think this will be my starting point on my reread now. I will make sure to document what chapters I've read, where I'm leaving off, and I'm a sucker for tabbing books, so I'm sure I'll be tabbing all my favorite bits, everything I want to talk about, and I will hop on when I have a thought. We will see how often I come back. I'm very curious to see how this format plays out, so I will see you guys later. Hey guys, I'm back, and let me tell you, I'm so excited to talk about this first section. I read through the end of chapter 8 up to page 104, and it has just been mind-blowing. Just all the information that is piecing together and makes so much more sense to me and it's just adding so much more depth to I think the series as a whole and what's to come. So I made a tiny list of things that I for sure wanted to touch on from this section. So I left off the end of chapter 8 is essentially a montage of Violet and all of her challenges on the sparring mat with it ending with Zayden stepping up because her latest challenger got too sick too soon. I was considering reading a little bit farther to encompass their fight into this section, but I have so many other 
thoughts about the first 100 pages that I didn't want it to blur that. So we'll start at the beginning. I know that I had said that I really wanted a lot of clarification around Brennan and his dragon and what actually happened. And so right off the bat, page five, they say that Brennan and his dragon died five years ago. And that's all we know. But the section I just finished had a lot of really great information about the different dragon types and how the bonding works and the different powers. And that's just high level. There's a lot of like nuanced stuff that I, I'll get into closer to. But what I thought was really interesting was we learn how Brennan died in page 95-96, where another writer, Terran's one and only writer, tried to resurrect Brennan and quote-unquote failed. I have so many different theories now about what that could mean, and it just further kind of complicates and throws into question Taryn's bond with Violet, why he chose her. Something else I was really fascinated about at the very start of the book was the language that Violet's mother uses around her daughter's illness and how she was sick with Violet when she was pregnant with her. The section is on page three, and it goes, pale skin, pale eyes, pale hair. Her gaze siphons every ounce of my confidence down to the marrow in my bones. It's like that fever stole all your coloring along with your strength. Grief flashes through her eyes and her brows furrow. I told him not to keep you in that library. It's not the first time I've heard her curse the sickness that nearly killed her while she was pregnant with me, or the library made my second home once she'd been stationed here. And like I said, I have a really complex opinion. I'm not 100% sure how to feel about Mama Sorengale just yet. I think Yaros is probably fixing to set her up as kind of a Snape-like character that we're going to have all this brutality, all this misery and it was all done for the greater good. I'm not 100% convinced, but I think that's a very likely option for her arc. And I have some further theories on that I'll add at the end that ties into Brennan too. The next thing I had noted, and I remember thinking this the first time I read the book, and it was so obvious again the second time, when we finally get to the parapet and Violet is introducing herself to Rhiannon and Dylan, the fact that Dylan did not even give us his last name, I knew he wasn't going to make it. Reading Yarrow's description of Zayden the first time we meet him felt very reminiscent of a lot of other fantasy writers and the way that they introduce the love interest. I won't go naming names, but if you know, you know. It's another book talk favorite. I do have to say, I think my opinion on Zayden and Violet's evolving relationship has softened me up a little bit. I am appreciating his nuances and the subtlety of their interactions in this first 100 pages in a way that I was just like not interested in the first time. I also highlighted the line between Violet and Zayden where she calls him out on... Like, yeah, my mom killed your dad, but it's because you killed my brother. And his response was, hardly. She was literally telling us all of this information. Like, it's just so baffling. How did we not see it? And then hearing this exchange and being reminded that it wasn't just the offense of Mama Sorengale killing 
Zayden's father, but the inverse of their father killing her brother. I've seen a lot of debate in general in the book sphere of what truly constitutes as like an enemies to lovers story. And I can't decide if that kind of tension between two people is enough to consider Zayden and Violet and enemies to lovers because they aren't enemies per se. They're enemies based on the situations that they were raised in and grew up in, right? And while it's personal enough that it has lost family members, that's enough to create someone as an enemy. They also weren't the ones to have participated and done that. Yeah, I'm not 100% convinced Reading the parapet portion again is where I had my, this is like the Hunger Games moment. It is that same high stakes of when the tributes get dropped into the dome and then they are off. And that's exactly the stakes that I felt walking the parapet, especially once Jack Barlow comes chomping at her heels and is literally chasing her down and she's just trying to get across it in the pouring rain. He's a piece of work, that character. I cannot stand him as we aren't supposed to, right? But he is just the epitome of small dick energy and it just, my skin crawls every time. He has to say something or he does something stupid. I also had one other random thought from the parapet scene where Violet so generously offers one of her shoes to Rhiannon before the parapet. And I had this moment. I was like, what happens if one of them didn't make it? Would the other be stuck with an ill-fitting shoe and just one? I think I would have thrown myself off at that point. I'd be like, I'm out. I'm not going to survive <laughs> with messed up shoes like that. I can't. I'm not the only one. I think others would agree with me on that. And then we meet Dane from swoon to gag to barf. <sighs> I mean, his first touch to her is on page 32. And then right after that is when he's like, you're too delicate. You're too fragile. You need to go to the scribe quarters. And it's like, I really wanted to at least humor liking you before I threw you to the wolves. I mean, it was just an immediate reaction with him. Because regardless of her flaws, I wouldn't even call it that, just her slight limitations, he like is not willing to listen to her. It's not like she's blind to her strengths and her weaknesses and the fact that he's not willing to let her figure it out on her own is really infuriating to watch. But I guess when your life is at risk like that, you can't blame him for wanting to try to help, but he overdoes it. There could have been a much better balance for Dane to strike with trying to take care of Violet, and that just was not it. And then I am so excited to talk about this because I totally had a different interpretation of the scene where Violet comes face to face with Sigail the first time right after the parapet when Zayden's given them all like a pep talk. I really thought that Sigail was essentially just like trying to play matchmaker for Zayden or even for Taryn, right? I thought it was really interesting. She was totally just scoping out Violet, but then it hit me after this time around thinking of the mental connection of the riders and the dragons. It's no wonder she was scoping 
Violet out, I'm sure Zane was obsessively thinking about her. If it was truly like this love at first sight on Zane's part, who's this girl my writer can't stop thinking about? I need to see who this is. And I can imagine this whole network of a conversation happening between Taryn being like, oh, she's a Soringale, Brennan's sister, tying back that whole previous conversation of Taryn's writer saving Brennan. Which must have happened, right? That Terran's rider sacrificed himself to save the Soaring Gale. So it's like a totally different read now than I had the first time. We also learn in these first 100 pages that Mama Soaring Gale's ability that she has with her dragon can wield storms. I mean, Terran's name in Scottish Gaelic is Thunder. And with Violet's lightning and her mom wielding storms, Yara was literally screaming at us, look, this is probably what her ability is going to be. Pay attention. I just, I feel so silly. And then thinking about how on the flip side of it, Zane being a shadow wielder, like they are all so complementary in their abilities. It is so fun. And I cannot wait to see them actually in battle together. Yeah, that's going to be... I think they're going to have a really, really great dynamic past what we've already seen in this book. And the top of chapter five, the little top of chapter tidbits on page 55 is stirring the pot of Mama Sorengale's loyalties, where she puts in an official brief to the king saying, knowing I am in direct disagreement with General Melgren's orders, I am officially objecting to the plan set forth in today's briefing. It is not the general's opinion that the children of the rebellion leaders should be forced to witness their parents' executions. No child should watch their parents put to death. What a choice for her to make. It just feels so at odds with the way that she's treating Violet right now. If she's got this compassion for rebels that were partially, if not directly involved with this death of her son, her oldest and first writer of her children, and yet she's forcing her daughter into this and has no compassion for the fact that she is not as maybe physically fully abled as a normal person, let alone the grueling training and the lack of training she's had her entire life to be set up for success in this quadrant. I don't know. It's just like really frustrating. And I'm wondering if this little tidbit is the clue that maybe she's playing the Navari government is actually working for the rebels. But I think this is probably way more significant of information for Mama Sorengill than I think we're going to have the rest of this book. And for me, just a bit after this section, chapters five into chapter six, is when I really realized how much I enjoyed Violet's inner dialogue. And I really appreciate her intelligence and her self-awareness. And there's, you know, that little touch of like self-deprecation that's always really funny. And that's what makes her relatable, right? And I think that's why she's so compelling as a character and why this book and this series has taken off the way that it has. And on that note, with, you know, the notes that Mira left of Brennan's for Violet, I just thought that was such a lovely touch, especially because they still will forever feel the loss of his presence in the family and their dynamic along with their father. But at first I was like, man, I was like this whole 
challenges and her being able to figure out who she's challenging ahead of time and poisoning. I was like, man, I was like, this is just like so easy to me. Of course she's gonna like figure out a way to not have to fight these people or not have to fight hard against these people. But that's who she is, right? Her strength is her intelligence and her being able to use whatever information she is presented with, she can find to win. And I don't see it as easy anymore because, I mean, she takes a beating and she's still training. It's not like she's reliant on this. She's trying to just play catch up at this point against all these other kids that have been doing this for, what, a decade at least? Training? God, they're only 20. Anyway, I have much more respect for her in finding that way around it. And I just really, I really enjoyed reading those montages of her kicking everyone's butts. It was really fun. And I think it's really a testament to almost like a work smarter, not harder mindset that I don't think anyone else in the wing has. And that's why she stands out. Then, you know, we have the next chapter where she's sneaking around for all the berries and stuff to poison her opponents. And going through her inner dialogue talking about all those rules for all the kids with the relics, I was like, my gosh, like this is screaming Professor Umbridge with all of her magical decrees in the fifth Harry Potter book about people not being able to congregate in the hallways and stuff. It's really fun to see all those little tidbits and possible inspirations from all those books that we read growing up. Because I think I see a lot reading the dragon descriptions that I'm thinking of Goblet of Fire, the first task with the four dragons they had to pull and fight. And yeah, and then that whole scene of her being able to hide. But she probably didn't hide because I'm sure Zayden, you know, Shadow Daddy, probably knew that she was hiding in said shadows on a tree. And it was just such an interesting move that he didn't call her out in a group of people that would 100% want to kill her to get back at her mother. There's so much information in that section too about the misinformation that they, as the students are being presented about the actual war that's happening outside of their borders, as alluded to in one of the questions Zayden got. And how interesting that even at her core, while she may not agree with Zayden, fully understand the scope of what's happening, she knew the importance of not ratting them out. That she's like, I don't see anything wrong with this. They aren't doing anything. They clearly need a community because they're being pulled into this bloodbath of a school like I have been. So I really appreciated that from her and even Zayden on the flip side of him reminding the other rebellion kids that you know what we killed her brother we don't like her either but she's got just as much of a reason to dislike us because everyone suffered from that and then I made a note (laughs) about Zayden planning to handle Violet himself and I'm like we know bud we see it coming anxiously awaiting it. (laughs) These romance books are so fun with stuff like that. (laughs) So then, like I said, the last like 10-ish pages, the last chapter I read is so juicy with information. With Brennan's death, the dragons, all of their connections, their powers. Honestly, I'm going to say right now, I still cannot keep track of the different dragon tales and the different significance of the power that they wield and how they utilize it. Well, there's like six of them and there's like at least six or eight different dragon types. We're learning, right? We're just kind of figuring it out as we go along, even a second time around. 
but I totally forgot that Taryn's previous writer was the person to attempt, quote unquote, to save Brennan. And yeah, so now my head is spinning with all these theories. So was Taryn's choice to pick Violet solely on her defending and Ardna and the loyalty and the brilliance and her intelligence that showed in that interaction? Was there some type of verbal agreement made? Because I mean, Taryn had to have known that Brennan was alive after seeing his rider die, right? So it goes into now my theories, because this, I kind of bring back to Mama Sorengale. I see it as like two things right now, is that, you know, is she a double agent? And does she know that Brennan is alive? And then, so was the last minute choice to put Violet in the rider's wing, a decision made by not only their mother, but Brennan, with the hopes that Taryn would pick Violet during the threshing. Because as much as I don't want this for Mama Sorengill's storyline, that feels the most compelling right now. And maybe Zayden may not know that Brendan is in communication with their mother, but Zayden doesn't know, at least I think at this point right now, that Violet was not prepared to go into the writer's quadrant. I think maybe people know to an extent, but she comes from a line of writers, so maybe it's assumed. But yeah, I'm kind of now convinced that it was a last-minute decision made between Brennan and Mama Sorengale to put her in last minute with the hopes that Taryn would recognize her and be willing to bond with her. But my initial theory that I also think would work very well in this, and it's not as like detailed into like the whole Taryn, Sigail, Zayden connection and their bonds, is I'm wondering if, if Mama Sorengale was truly like a loyal, loyal general to the cause, and she found out that Brennan betrayed them and that he decided to fight for the enemy. And instead of dealing with the fallout and the blasphemy that's going to come from having a deserter child, she just decided to tell everyone that he's dead. And she's just going to deal with him on the flip side. Because that feels also very likely too. Yeah, that theory just doesn't feel as satisfying as their mom and Brennan possibly working together with the rebels. Like, that's just so fun. All right, well, that is the end of the first 104 pages of the book and my thoughts and theories so far. I have a feeling I'll probably be doing check-ins every 100-ish pages, but honestly, that might change towards the end because once the Zayden betrayal twist happens, there is so much I'll probably be popping on extra then. Forgot the first 100 pages are a touch slow, but there is so much more information that I read it a lot faster than I thought it was going to. So stay tuned for check-in number two. All right, I am back with check-in number two. I read chapters 9 through 16, which will take me up to page 192. So that gets us from the Zayden-Violet sparring match through thrushing and the drama after with Violet and her two dragons. I decided to leave off right before Violet had to duel Zayden after she had successfully competed against all those other competitors because she was poisoning them and she just gets her ass 
hand it to her. Honestly, I forgot how hot this scene is. And importantly, as intimidating as he was during their fight, that it was pretty tame compared to what it could have been. He didn't discourage her or get her in trouble for poisoning her past opponents because he acknowledges and realizes that it was a pretty brilliant move on her part for how unprepared, relatively speaking, she was to enter the writer's quadrant to begin with. But he reminds her in this moment, one, you're not going to be able to pre-plan every single attack. And two, towards the end of it, there's a line on page 110 where he says, so stop going for bigger moves that expose you. A rib shot would have worked just fine. Kidneys are good fit from this angle too. He's trying to teach her how to utilize and take advantage of her smaller form that people may underestimate so that she can succeed. He he clearly doesn't want her to fail. And it's so obvious now in hindsight, I didn't see it at first. Oh, and that final line from Zayden to Dane where he's like, Atos, she could use a little less protection and a little more instruction. And if that is not the perfect sum up of their fight, I don't know what is. Because that's exactly what Zayden's trying to prove to her, which she already knows, I think. She's already been pushing back against Dane, who's still trying to get her into the scribe quadrant. And she knows that she can do it. And he's just reminding her that she has that ability to stand up for herself. She's got the brains for it. She just needs to keep working on the physical, and I think she'd get there much faster than she gives herself credit for. I mean, we can't really blame Violet for her hesitation in her training and the fact that she's utilizing poison to help her get an advantage in these challenges that she's having to go through. She's been told that she is weak and fragile and helpless her entire life, and she witnesses it. I mean, she is physically unable to do certain things. She has limitations. And it's really hard to get out of a mindset when you've been told that constantly. But what I think is really cool is that you see throughout the book, her mindset starts to shift. And I'll pull out a quote that I really liked in a little bit when it actually comes to it. But having that external voice confirming to her what she's already feeling internally, that she might actually survive this, that she can actually pull this off. And Zane's like, yes, you can. Let's work on that. Let's take advantage of that and do that for you. You know, after the fight when she's with Dane and they're talking through the fight, he admits that he can get her into the scribe quadrant without her mother knowing. And she is furious, again, that he is still not listening to her. And it's at the end of this scene on page 114 where you see her mindset shift. I think it's the first significant moment where she actually has the thought of, I might actually be able to do this. My heart stutters and I sway, his reasoning's tugging me towards exactly what he's suggesting. But you've made it this far apart of me whispers and that is just so significant and I love this for her. Before I move on from this scene I did want to point out that this is probably the moment where Dane realizes that all the rebellion kids are up to something because he is massaging her touching her skin to skin on her back and this was the first significant scene where they're physically interacting since she had that first interaction with Zayden by the trees. Now I have to say rereading this, I did not realize how much I absolutely love everything from the gauntlet to threshing. I remember 
reading the gauntlet scene and the training the first time and just first off not thinking Violet was gonna survive it just full stop didn't know what that was gonna mean for the series but man the fact that she after two weeks of training was never able to get through the full course even once was scary and I have to say I made this note as they were describing the gauntlet <laughs> for those of us that ever watched that tv show Wipeout, with the different courses that people had to run through and they would like fall into the water and like they would jump and bounce that's essentially what I'm imagining but stacked vertically and instead of falling into water you obviously plummet to your death and this is the part right before the gauntlet and presentation day just in general where she and Dane are talking again about her going to the scribe quadrant because she wasn't able to get through the full gauntlet and he says to her he's like what's changed between the parapet and now and she said me this is the first time we're seeing outwardly that shift in her mindset that she actually thinks for the first time that she's going to make it. And that's so powerful and that she's finally vocalizing it so that he is going to understand that she's just going to do what she wants and she knows what the risks are. She knows she's an outlier, that she is maybe not physically the best fit. I think she is a fit, obviously. And, but she's going to do it anyway and hope for the best. And then of course, Zayden coming back to it, like just because it's the right way doesn't mean it's the only way. And that level of creativity and thinking outside of the box is what I think makes a rider successful, whether they want to admit it or not. I think that's probably going to be the bigger overall theme of this series is the idea that just because you don't fit into a specific mold doesn't mean that you're not capable of achieving something or reaching those goals, especially with the commentary around whatever her chronic illness is and her size because of it. We'll talk about it more when we get into Zayn making the booster seat for her. <laughs> on Taryn, regardless of her not maybe meeting the traditional skill set expected of a rider, she has a lot of other skill sets that also make her valuable. And as I say this out loud, oh my gosh, is that not the epitome of Steve Rogers and Captain America? Why did I not make that parallel before? He's my favorite Avenger. This is exactly his story to an extent too, that underdog that doesn't fit the mold, but because there are other skill sets and personality traits. It actually makes both Steve and Violet the best fit for this untraditional kind of role for them. Makes me love it even more. Okay, moving on from the Steve Rogers parallels, as much as I love that I made that connection, let's talk about presentation day. My note is I forgot how much I love the concept of presentation day ritual that leads into threshing, where presentation day is the final gauntlet run where they either make it or they die. And Violet's like, well, we're gonna see what happens. I kind of have a half-ass idea, thanks to Zayden's like, think outside the box comment. So presentation day is a reminder is them doing the gauntlet and then them doing the stroll through the forest to get scoped out by the dragons before threshing. And this is just so fun. It's, I mean, I couldn't imagine surviving the gauntlet. Your adrenaline is pumping and then it's going to continue as you... <laughs> 
walk around and like hang out with dragons. Like it's so crazy. It's so wild and I loved it so, so much. Her two cheats for the final two obstacles that she was not able to get through during training. The first one, she utilizes one of the ropes to climb her way up the chimney that she wasn't able to climb through. And then the second one, which is supposed to designate someone jumping onto their dragon, she utilizes one of her knives to lift herself up with the technicality from the codex that anything you bring across the parapet is technically an extension of you therefore the knife is her love it especially with that stupid amber mavis <sighs> Ooh, can't wait to get into that part later but she survived and i really did not see that coming and i was so excited for her when she did and now they do their little dragon walk to meet the dragons, see who's pairing off. And it was so satisfying when Luca got incinerated. She was so obnoxious and I'm so glad the dragons were not dealing with her BS. A little mad that they were willing to deal with Jack's BS, but that's a whole other story. That character survived way too long in my opinion. Besides Luca, I really thought it was cute how the two green dragons approach Violet sniffing out the scaled armor that Mira had made for her from her dragon. And I am dying to know what those two dragons were saying about it. Like that must have been such a weird moment for them. These last couple chapters of this section I read of threshing and then after with Violet bonding with two dragons, I think is probably going to be one of the best sections of the book in my opinion. I think the introduction of Aunt Ardna and Taryn is really well done and well executed, especially in the context of everything we spoke about earlier of Violet being kind of the odd man out of the whole writer's quadrant and all that hard work that she's put in and all of the redeeming qualities that she has outside of the classic rider qualities pays off and she gets one of the biggest and baddest dragons and also a bonus dragon. Like how fun is that? We have that epic showdown between Jack and his bunch of cronies that reminded me of like Malfoy, Crab and Goyle, just them walking around trying to like take out a dragon because they thought they could. But that showdown I think is really significant for Violet and the fact that she can hold her own in the writer's quadrant now. I'm wondering if Taryn's reason to bond with Violet goes deeper than him and Sigail's connection to Aunt Ardna, but it has to do with Brennan. That conversation between the two of them when Taryn is like, you gotta hold on, like why aren't you holding on? And Violet's like, I didn't think I was gonna make it this far. And he's like, we have that in common. I, I can't imagine what that was like for him and any of the dragons that lose a rider like that. So for him to be so willing to bond again so soon with the blessing of his mate, I think is really special. And I think that Violet and Taryn already have a bond through Brennan. So then when she gets back, the humans are all got their panties in a wad over Violet announcing she's got two dragons, which we love. So then the last thing that I keep coming back to every time I think about this, this reread, the first time I read it, is I understand, you know, the dragons are mated. I wonder how many other dragons are mated right now at this point because they said that Sigail and Taryn are the most powerful mated dragons in existence and how that affects Zayden and Violet's relationship. There's gonna be more about that 
in probably the next section, but can humans be mates? Because there's already such an intrinsic connection between Violet and Zayden. I mean, their histories, their interactions at the school, and now they're dragons. And then the icing on the cake of the section at the very end of chapter 16, Violet gets her moment with Dane that she thinks she's been wanting this whole time just for it to be the most lackluster kiss she's ever experienced. Just felt so vanilla for her. <laughs> and she doesn't want it because, I mean, who would when Zayden's there, right? All right, so that's the end of my part two check-in. I will be picking up at chapter 17. See you soon. I'm back. This section will incorporate chapters 17 through 24, which ends on page 310 of the U.S. hardback edition. I have a feeling this section's gonna be a little bit longer than the first two because I think there's a lot of crucial information that gets revealed in these sections that I think is foreshadowing the rest of the series. So where we leave off is just after threshing. And Violet immediately notices the power dynamic in their food hall. With her being on top, people bending over backwards for her, and witnessing firsthand Jack Barlow's fall from grace, which is probably the most satisfying part of this whole thing. The other thing that Violet is starting to notice immediately after threshing is how much nicer the other rebellion kids are specifically Imogen offering to train her with weight training to help her strengthen her joints, make her a little bit stronger. She's struggling through her flying lessons with Taren, not able to stay on, so he's compromising some of his magic to hold her on. She keeps challenging him, I don't need it, and he's like, fine. And she keeps falling off nonstop with seemingly no solution in sight, but we know that that's gonna change in section four. Dane and Violet have their first moment after their kiss, and surprise, surprise, he's touching her face again. And it makes me wonder, I don't know how specifically Dane's ability works in the context of does he have to channel his power every time he touches her? Or is it just anytime he touches someone he already sees their memories? Because now I'm wondering if he quote unquote rejects her because he can tell that she actually was not into him that way and he was just trying to save face. There is a lot of information that I think is going to be important for the rest of the series with Violet being on archive duty. This first significant section begins at about page 209 between Jacinia and Violet when Violet asks about fables of the barons and she made the comment about how she's surprised that the archives wouldn't be holding onto this book even though it's just a book of fables. Violet makes a note on page 210 that she thought it was a little weird that this fable book was not in the archives because only ultra rare or forbidden homes are excluded. When did folklore become either of those? I mean, that's because it's not a fable and the Navarian government is trying to hide the truth. What they probably did was treated it like fable for anyone that did have a copy of it previously and decided to just completely nix it once they considered that it would be dangerous. And then a little bit after on page 211, I think highlights how important Jacinia is going to be for how the information and how this portion of history is recorded. Her conversation with Violet starts with, I'm 
really all right talking about how she's actually enjoying the writer's quadrant. How about you? Is it everything you wanted? She responds, it is everything and more. So much more. The responsibility we have not only to record history, but to speed information from the front lines is more than I could have ever imagined. And it is so fulfilling, which totally tracks with her dedication at the very beginning of the book, talking about how she is the one that she is claiming responsibility for correctly transcribing this portion of history. So I wonder if this is gonna be the first time that history is correctly written moving forward in this universe, because who knows how long it's been hidden and lied about to this point. One of the more significant things that happens in this section is we're starting to see all the newly minted writers start to manifest their signets and also be able to start wielding magic. And we witness firsthand one of the writers, Jeremiah, is an intrinsic, which means that he is able to read other people's minds. And what I think is interesting is that this power specifically is a death sentence right off the bat. This kid's head, his neck was snapped and there, nobody questioned it. It made me wonder why the Navarian government doesn't try to wield this information. They're able to wield so many other very rare and very valuable abilities, but this is where they draw the line. And it has to be because they have their own stuff to hide. If they are not willing or able to train or control someone with that ability that they kill them is a huge red flag. I just can't believe everyone is just accepting it, considering the strength and the power that this government body has in this universe. Then pretty much immediately after we see Jeremiah get killed for his ability is when Violet is attacked in the middle of the night by no other than Oren, who has had it out for her pretty much since threshing because he never matched with the dragon like Jack Barlow did. And it's so funny because I totally forgot about Andardna's time-stopping ability and how freaking cool it is and how lucky she is because I think even with the timing of Zayden's arrival, I almost don't think she would have made it. I think he would have just barely made it in time or it would have been enough blood would have spilt that she would have been dead. When Zayden is walking Violet down to their dragons to figure out how those seven students got into her room is when Zayden makes a comment and is being a little shady about why he was out and dressed in his fighting leathers at 2 a.m. He claims it's third year business but this has to do with the twist and reveal at the end of the book which I remember but I don't remember 100% of the details so we will unpack that more when we get to that part of the book. And what I really love about this is that this is really the first time we learn a lot about the dragon dynamic. We learn more about Aunt Ardna. We see a bit of Zayden's personality at the same time for the first time. That's not just that cold, cruel exterior that he puts on. Violet's realizing that Zayden is talking to Tarn, and this is when she is also communicating with Segale for the first time and realizing that they're all interconnected. Zayden cannot talk to Anardna, which makes sense. And once Violet and Zayden learn the truth about Anardna and what it actually means to be a feather tail, that they are babies, not necessarily a breed of their own, Zayden has this like really cute moment with Segale. Like, did you guys have this hatchling? Is, is she yours? How have I never known? Why wouldn't you tell me? And he seems pretty legitimately hurt by that, which I thought was really sweet to see that, to see his dynamic with Segale that intimately. Another bit of information he reveals during this scene is how much of a learning curve it was for him learning his signet. And then one of my other favorite little tidbits is I had this 
realization reading this how he calls Antarna the golden one and calls Violet the silver one. It's very childlike. He sees both Antarna and Violet as his to protect and I just thought that was really, really cute. This is when Violet decides to open up to Tarn, Sigale, and Zayden and confirm with her that there was one more person in the room with her that was not a cadet. And we find out that it's not, no other than Dane's rule abiding favorite, Amber Mavis. Funny how she's willing to follow the rules when they work in her favor, right? So naturally, Zayden brings it up at one of their meetings, addresses the accusation. Dane does not believe her. He's willing to take her memories without her consent, but obviously she's trying to keep Aunt Ardna's power hidden, and she doesn't trust Dane at this point. There are people that keep their signets to themselves, and he gets so butthurt about it. It's shocking. He's so entitled and selfish with Violet. It's so cringe at this point when you reread it. So the cadets, I believe it was the wing leaders, all come together after seeing the incident play through Taryn's memories via Violet to avoid using Dane. And they execute her for breaking the codex. As a result of the overnight attack led by Amber Mavis, Zayden puts Liam on her as a guard, essentially. And I adore Liam. Easily the most tragic and devastating story in this book. We learn a lot about him in these couple of sections in this chapter specifically. In chapter 21, we learn a lot about him and his upbringing and more of what the rebel kids' lives were like once their parents were executed. He talks about how he and Zayden were being fostered by Navari aristocrats that were loyal to the country, and that's how they met. Zayden trained Liam. It seems like they have a brotherly dynamic once you realize realize that they spent that time together in that home during those formative years. We learn that Liam has a younger sister that's just younger by a year. He talks about how excited he is to see her next year and you're just dying inside. As he talks about her and in this conversation is when Violet learns about the inconsistencies documented around Liam's father's death, that he was not executed with the rest of the rebels in a public display because she was looking for information about Zayden's father for, you you know, vengeance for Brennan's death, learns that he was executed in their family home before it was handed off to a different aristocrat. Violet never knew until this moment that all the rebellion kids are forced into the writer's quadrant. And honestly, I tend to believe that it's for punishment. It's the hardest to get through, highest death rate. The kids are put there as a message and forcing this loyalty. It's pretty gross, isn't it? And this is when we see Liam and Jacinia and the ship that we're never going to see set sail just absolutely devastates me. They would have been so cute. While they're walking back from the archives with some important war documents that they're delivering for their big battle class, they notice an account of an attack on a town called Somerton on the southern border. Violet notes that it's another high altitude attack like the one they had discussed in their class previously. Again, looking like a raiding party as well. A lot of parallels to the one that they had spoken of. And as they get into that class, 
at the end of this chapter, Markham doesn't even bring up the attack and they go into more of a history lesson instead. Violet and Liam are looking at each other like, we know this happened, why are we not talking about this? And you already see the gears in Violet's brain as she's realizing how many inconsistencies there are and she's just not willing to admit it yet. It's hard to face that on your own when you've been taught something your entire life, but it also kind of fits with her own personal growth in understanding her actual power and that she's not this weakling either. So I think those parallels make sense. And I think that's why she's so willing to listen and believe Zayden at the end of the book because she's been pointing this out and now that she's been given this truth, she's like, I can't deny it. There's been this much shady shit and there's no reason not to believe Zayden and Brennan at this point. After this showdown bit of Violet and Zayden on the map where Jack Barlow kind of gets in her face and Dane tries to talk to Violet for the first time in forever, I am starting to think that maybe they are a little bit more on the enemies to lovers spectrum because now I feel like they kind of have their own beef towards each other that isn't just residual of the familial history and traumas that both Violet's family and Zayden's family has experienced at each other's hands. But since he has feelings for her and has been having feelings for her that we learn later does that still constitute as enemies to lovers i don't know maybe i should stop being this dead horse and just roll with it at this point there's an exchange in chapter 23 starting around page 286 between dane and violet where dane is trying to apologize for not asking for her memories and they finally talk about him trying to do it without her consent and the gaslighting weaponized incompetence of the whole conversation on his end is just absolutely infuriating that I mean even if you wanted to give Dane the benefit of the doubt for not realizing that he wasn't asking Violet for her memories I think is really telling for how far off the deep end he already is and indoctrinated into this government lifestyle that there's just going to be no coming back for him. This scene is very telling for Dane's real character and how he feels about Violet at the end. But anyway but also as they continue talking in this scene about Zayden, because obviously Sheratine's jealous at this point, can't stand how much that Violet has to hang around this guy. And Violet made a comment to him where Dane's like, you have a reason to hate him. And Violet's like, I know. His father put an arrow in Brennan's chest according to battlefield reports. Which got me thinking about, again, we are witnessing all these historical inconsistencies. Violet's starting to question what she reads versus what she's hearing these first-hand accounts. And what she knows about Brennan's death is based on these now seemingly unreliable battle reports. The first question I have is how are Brennan and Zayden able to work together knowing this is the information that is being put out in the world? How is Zayden okay with working with Brennan knowing that this form of history of his father quote-unquote killing Brennan is why his father's dead? How inaccurate is this report? Did Zayden's father actually shoot Brennan? Or is this information in this battle report a lie to cover up Brennan's betrayal? Was this another rider, another Navari soldier that actually attacked and quote-unquote killed Brennan, but they wanted to blame it on Ryerson. I don't know. I'm just like, my head is spinning with this information. Like, I'm so curious to see where book two picks up based on the Brennan reveal at the end of book one, because I'm dying to know and witness Brennan and Zane's interactions from Violet's perspective. And then we also have Violet for the first time truly verbalizing and standing up to Dane and saying, the way that you want to keep me safe is actually keeping me from 
growing, which is probably the most significant line in this book for her personal growth. For her to actually vocalize it and feel confidence in everything she's learned is just so exciting and I'm like so proud of her and can't wait to continue seeing how she evolves with this newfound confidence in her ability and herself. Chapter 23 is the final showdown between stupid freaking Jack Barlow and Violet. Granted, it was very close and Violet was able to make Liam promise to keep this fight secret from Zayden because she wanted to be able to do it on her own, kind of piggybacking off of her comment to Dane. She's like, I want to be able to try to do this. And it's a close freaking call and I forgot how stressful it is and what a psychopath this character was. But she did it and it was really fun because she did it as a combo of all of the training that she's been going through and being able to properly wield her weapons better and hold her own and her body not quote unquote failing her the way that she's used to. And also her smarts with her having some orange extract knowing that he was crazy allergic to it. The last thing that I'm really excited to touch base on and see how this information is fueled in later books is the commentary from some of the higher generals when talking with Violet about how they would like to work with and Arden a little bit more to get some more Feathertail research. And someone made the comment that Papa Soringale was in the middle of a ton of Feathertail research that no one can find at this point. And it's funny because Violet knows exactly where that paperwork is in her father's desk or in her family home. And she knows that it would literally cost and Arden. So she plays dumb. So I'm really excited. I know we're going to learn more. Yaros has made a comment that we're going to see a crabby, angsty teenage Aunt Ardna in book two, which is going to be so fun. And I feel like Zayden watching the tense relationship between Violet and her mother really gave him perspective on who Violet is and how she feels towards her mother and being put in the writer's quadrant. It feels like a truce, but it also feels like another layer of wall is coming down between them because it seems like little bits of information that we've learned about Zayden and his father that they were very, very close. And I think it was easier for Zayden to be like, well, she's exactly like her mother and seeing how opposite she is, he's not going to be able to resist her much longer. One last thing that I did want to say in this section that I forgot to bring up earlier, it's so silly, but it's always <laughs> makes me laugh so hard, is the section where Taryn and Segale are accidentally channeling their sexy time into Zayden and Violet and this section makes me giggle every single time. It's such a fun, lighthearted moment and it breaks down their relationship just a little bit more. I have a much bigger appreciation for the Violet and Zayden evolution this time around that I wasn't completely sold on the first time. So this section ends at about page 310. I think I have about two or three more parts. I'll see you all back in the next section. Alrighty, hi, hello. We are back with another section. This section is going to cover chapters 20 25 to 33 and that ends at page 421 in the middle of Zayden and Violet's sexy time. This section is pretty much the rest of Zayden and Violet's romantic evolution which 
you know, thinking back to what I said earlier about how I was a little torn on how I felt about the evolution of Zayden and Violet's relationship. And it makes a lot more sense, first off, now that I've been rereading it, but also viewing them in the chunks that I have been because parts one through three were very school focused and there was a little bit of development between Zayden and Violet. And it's really interesting because reading these chapters a little bit separated from the book as a whole, this section really focuses on their relationship, the rest of that development. There's not much left going on. It's kind of the end of the school year. Big thing is the war games at the end of the year. So it kind of makes sense now why I thought it felt disjointed. I don't think Garros would have been able to execute it any other way and their relationship as a whole just feels so much more organic to me this time around. So one of the last few school activities that they have is the squad battles that they've been participating in and this last one is where they are are expected to acquire an item within the school property that would be the most beneficial for leadership, the enemy, if someone got their hands on it, that it would be absolutely detrimental. And while this feels silly, there's a lot of really important information that comes out of it because what Violet's teen decides to do is break into her mother's office. So the biggest things that she finds in her office, first flag for me was a Tyrish dagger with the runes on it that is very, very similar to Violet's. This is on page 318, and I did a side-by-side. -side. They aren't identical descriptions, but I don't know. It felt like there was just different descriptors of the metal, and it, I couldn't tell the difference personally, but I have a feeling that there's a connection to that, and also another point towards Mama Sorengale being an ally, but that's fine. I'm willing to be proven wrong. I'm just not going to be happy about it. And the next set of information that seems really important is two different letters asking for reinforcements. The first letter is coming from a town called Athbine, which is actually near Somerton, where they need reinforcements. They're being attacked. It sounds very similar to the Somerton attack that Violet and Liam were reading about in the previous section that I read. The second missive that she finds is about unrest in Tyrandor over the conscription laws there regarding the writer's quadrants. You know, in reading these reports and being in her office finding the map that they eventually steal to win this final round of the squad battles, she's noticing even more inconsistencies from the battle briefs they receive versus these reports on the map that she's looking at. Not gonna lie, the first time that I read this, I was so stressed out for them. And I didn't realize how much shorter this section was than like any of the other sections, the writing sections, the gauntlet, threshing, this is nothing compared to everything else we've read so far, in my opinion. As the reward, they get to go on a mission to kind of see what it's like to be at an outpost. And lucky for Violet, that is where Mira is stationed, so she gets to see her for the first time in nine months, they were saying. But what's great about this, so not only is she able to see her sister, she gets the folklore book back, and that is on page 331. During their time at their outposts, you see a couple other really important things. You get a taste for the segregation and the prejudice against the rebel kids with the relic as young as Mira's generation. And it hit me, and it might have been said in the book, because Zayden is the oldest, this is the first generation 
of those rebel kids becoming dragon riders. So we're getting a taste of what it's going to be like moving forward because Zayden's the first one to graduate. And I wonder if, you know, the government had that foresight in forcing these kids through this death sentence to further discrimination on the front lines like that. I think that's going to play into the rest of the series pretty heavily. I I think a divide is coming amongst the dragon riders. I think it's already started with Zayden and his little side project with Brennan. This is also when we finally, at least Violet finally learns, that she also has a mind connection with Zayden, especially when Zayden decides to mess with Dane in the process. And it makes me curious about how long he was intentionally holding out on that information. Did he have, like, complete unfettered access to her mind and her thoughts? Like, has he he known this entire time how obsessed she is with him. It sounds like there's an intentional effort made to forge that bond, so I'm assuming her mind has been safe for that time, but I don't know. And this is when the fueling of the prejudice against the rebel kids and Mira not trusting Zayden regardless of Violet's unintentional connection to him. Mira points out how dangerous it is for Violet to have a dragon made it to someone that's in an older class because now her education is in jeopardy. She's got the potential of being the strongest rider of all time, but until she's fully trained, it's Zayden and Segale. Based on the fact that Segale was the one to come to Tarn at the outpost versus Tarn dragging Violet away from her education, I think it's going to more negatively impact Zayden. She had no suspicions that Tarn needed to be with Segale this whole time. I'm going to stay a bit optimistic about that. I imagine her staying maybe through her second year, if I'm being honest. I think that would be the dividing point, because I think her cover is going to get blown Zayden's cover is going to get blown. Once we see them at the beginning of the book surviving the war games that was supposed to be a coup to kill them off, I think it's going to get real messy. And I don't think she's going to last more than two years there. This is also when Mira decides to lay in to Dane and Zayden for Dane being immature, stepping up to become the wing leader that he's been gunning for since the top of the year, and Mira to Zayden being like, I don't trust you, but I expect you to take care of my sister if you guys are connected. She really got through to them in the best and worst way possible. Now I want to reference the quote at the top of chapter 28, which is from Brennan. Winning the war games isn't about strength, it's about cunning. To know how to strike, you have to understand where your enemies, your friends, are most valuable. No one stays friends forever, Mira. Eventually, those closest to us become our enemies in some way. Even if it's through well-intentioned love, apathy, or if we live long enough to become their villains. My gosh, I mean, that's exactly what happens with Dane and Violet. It's so obvious now. The craziest thing is that there's even more. The biggest shift in him is the fact that he seems to give zero fucks about Zayden at this point, and he's not physically touched her, skin to skin at least, since I last referenced it. Like, I've been pretty good about noting them, and I don't think there's been skin to skin contact between the two of them, so that leads me to believe he used the previous information of their skin to skin contact, not Zayden randomly appearing in his flight, leathers, all of that that he used that first bit of information about the secret meeting that Violet was keeping from him to turn in that information to try to get Zayden executed with the goal of having Violet fall back in his good graces. And all of this is happening in chapter 28. 
with the Brennan quote about your friends turning into your enemies and you becoming their villains. I mean, she's literally screaming at us. She's waving the flag. Look at this. This is the moment everything changes between them. Because you know what also is in this chapter? Is Zayden building the saddle for her. It becomes so transparent who these people are and she does such a good job of hiding it under our noses and I'm just so, so obsessed with it. Another thing that I tapped too that I didn't have on my notes initially is on 351. We have a whole section that's like, Dane is acting weird as fuck. Friendly one minute, indifferent the next. Totally is guilt eating at him. Zayden is getting more secretive, if that were even possible, canceling training with her, which has been like his top priority this whole time. Even Taryn feels like there's something he is not telling me. It's crazy. It's crazy all the stuff you find once you know. Now, I misspoke last time about when I thought Jack Barlow died. I knew that he it was at Violet's hand, and I was just, like, ready to one-and-done him during the sparring ring. But it's this section coming up during their faux assignment of, like, felt like a dragon version of Capture the Flat. This is finally when we say goodbye to Jack. And very satisfying because he nearly killed Liam. Unfortunately, not that it matters because... R.I.P. Anyway, Violet uses Andarna's time-stopping ability to help her save Liam. And this is when Violet finally manifests her signet. When she is feeling the most comfortable in her saddle, she is able to actually focus on being a rider, and it manifests. What a beautiful parallel to that. I just love the whole saddle for her, and Taryn's support, and Zayden's too. And now we finally get our first bit of Zayden and Violet action. And it's really funny because this whole time leading up to their scene and them just cuddling after... She's learning little bits about him, and this is the first time he finally is willing to open up about the scars on his back, and Violet immediately remembers the 107 from Liam talking about the 107 kids, and he essentially made an agreement with Mama Sorengale and the higher government that if any of those 107 rebel kids betray the country, his life will be forfeit along with theirs. Which makes, I don't think I realized the significance of that commitment when I first read it because, I mean, he is risking it already. He's still in school and he is fraternizing with the enemy by the end of it. So like the weight of that promise and being willing to put himself in the line to do what he thinks is the right thing to do is really powerful. Violet gets a little bit more of her power exercise in uh there's a direct correlation to every time they get together and it's the funniest thing ever (laughs) them destroying her room that first time and because of that she immediately starts training and she has quite an immediate an obvious distrust for Carr, who is the trainer, and she calls him out about Jeremiah, the intrinsic that, whose head was snapped in front of everybody, and she kind of makes the parallel of how Jeremiah was killed, but Dane, whose ability is just a little bit more controllable, lives, but it's just as deadly as that ability. And this is, I think, beautiful foreshadowing too. He makes a comment to Violet and warns her about how powerful and important they are as a duo for Navarre and that if they were to ever step out of line, that that would be it for them, which is fascinating because then I'm sitting here thinking, looking back at the timeline of already thinking Dane's betrayal is starting around this part, 
if he is warning Violet of the impending ambush? Or are they just all naturally suspicious of Zayden because they didn't expect him to make it this far? I mean, he's his father's son, and I think they know that. So that warning to Violet, I think, is going to be very significant, which I think we already saw coming by the end of the first book, but they're aware of it, and that makes this really scary. And then... The last major thing is Violet cleaning up her (laughs) sex-crazed room and is opening up her folklore book and seeing the damaged book after their escapades finds ominous note left from her father. The note can be found on page 391. It says, by the time you find this, you'll most likely be in the scribe quadrant. Remember that folklore is passed from one generation to the next to teach us about our past. If we lose it, we lose the links to our past. It only takes one desperate generation to change history, even erase it. I know you'll make the right choice when the time comes. Because I think it's really interesting too, thinking about Papa Sorengale and the timing of his health deteriorating matching with Brennan. This is just so specific. I don't know if he started witnessing not only grieving the loss of his son, but watching the corruption firsthand via his wife and is sitting here reading these folklores to his youngest daughter and warning her to watch out for the way the world is evolving. And now the flip side of the fact that she's not in the scribe quadrant, she's a writer now. She's going to be witnessing this firsthand as someone who understands the importance of documentation in history and storytelling. Very excited to see how that's going to unfold and we'll see her choices throughout it. And then pretty much the last 20-ish to 30 pages from this point is the final little build-up. It's not even a build-up at this point because Zayden and Violet have already gotten together, which is like, it is so impressive that Yaros was able to give us spice, but then keep that tension going. Because you know, the minute they get together, it's all fun and games, happily ever after, whatever. But no, for her to continue to maintain that, and she's going to into book two because Violet's going to be so mad at Zayden for lying to her. It's genius. I think everyone can study it. I can't believe I didn't appreciate this couple the first time I read this. But before I continue going on and on about Zayn and Violet, I wanted to talk about the Reunification Day event with Liam. Liam volunteers to join Violet as a thank you to her, which is the sweetest thing ever. This party is also one of the last times Dane is going to touch Violet on the face. And Zayn is away from it, trying to cope with everything he's lost since then, and finally opens up to her happily ever after. They finally get together again for real. They're done dancing around it. We love it. After setting boundaries, respecting each other's spaces, all of that. As they're in the middle of it, as they get interrupted at the very end of the section, is when he talks about his rebel mark being a blessing, which we know gets revealed at the end, that enough of them around provides them with a bit of protection, which I think we're gonna learn more about it, because that had to have been a dragon's doing. A dragon must have been in on it, because they got marked by the dragons. There must have been a conscious decision to give these kids this protection to continue their parents' fight. Absolutely. You cannot convince me otherwise. That was totally a part of the greater plan. Anyway, that will be the end of this section. That leaves us with just under 100 pages till the end of the book. I'm thinking I'll be able to get that done in one sit-down, one read, and a high-level reflection, I think, at the end. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see you at the next part. All right, y'all, we are here. The last section. 
part five, chapters 33 to the end. Not gonna lie, this is a re-record because I started listening back to start editing it and I sounded so miserably depressed because of the ending of this book. <laughs> so I'm trying to add a little bit more pep because damn, this book is tough. So let's get into the war games. So we are at a 4am wake up call where the wings and the different groups are being sent to different outposts as a training practice. And there is so much information that happens in these next couple chapters. I'm going to try to cover as much as I can. I'm really here more for the information that I think is going to be crucial in future books that help support any theories, what I think is important. So I'm going to do the best that I can. The biggest thing to note is that Zayden and his group is going to Athbine. That is listed on page 426 of the U.S. hardback. This is also where Zayden has been doing some of his shady shit, and it is also very close to the town of Summerton that was referenced in one of the war briefs as well. Athbine was mentioned in the missive on her mother's desk when they were stealing the map as well. Dane fights really hard to keep Violet out of Athbine, saying she's a first year, it's outside of the wards, all these excuses. Obviously, Violet would prefer to go with Zayden, not only for her own benefit, fit but because of the dragons and the weirdest part of all this is Dane finally giving up realizing that the two of them are together and says I'll miss you Violet like what the fuck kind of reaction is that to your best friend I would have been so weirded out I would have had such a rock in my stomach hearing that and it didn't even phase her it's crazy so anyway they land just outside of Athbine for a break and this is when shit hitting the fan for the entire rest of the book Zayden gets to Violet and is like you need to trust me unlike you've ever trusted me before and then he turns to the griffin writer and is like you're early and like i said i was pretty aware from this point on i was able to guess most of the plot points which doesn't bother me i actually kind of make it a game i enjoy it if i do i enjoy it if i don't it's very weird and how absolutely devastated violet is by this reveal is always going to crush me they really seem like they were on a decent path because as she's standing there cornered by this enemy that she's known about her entire life. It's when she learns that all of her fable books are real. They're talking about venom and raids and she doesn't know how to react. And the question that I asked, and Zayden kind of touches on it, but there's got to be more to it. What is the Navari government getting from lying to their people and keeping themselves hidden behind their wards? I get the safety and security is very important, but there feels like there has to be more to the reason why they decided to create the Griffins and those people, the enemy, instead of their real enemy, which are the Venon. What makes this treachery even worse, salt in the wound, is the fact that Taren was in on it and so is Antnardna, sweet little angel child. And I don't know if I would ever be able to recover from that, from my dragon, especially this being that my life is literally tethered to. 
a boy screwing you over is a boy, right? But I wouldn't be able to do it if I was her. And Taryn feels a lot of remorse for it. He placed a lot of faith in Zayden to handle it delicately. Zayden totally had an opportunity when her folklore book broke and the cryptic message from her father. He should have realized that it was going to hit sooner than later, especially seeing that note and it bit Zayden in the ass. And then once they heed the warning of the Griffin Riders and arrive to Athbine is when they get their missive. It's going to be a slaughter. Even the Navari government knew that city was a lost cause and they did nothing to protect those citizens and left it on students in hopes that everyone dies. It's disgusting. And that's when they piece together that Dane knew about Athbine because he used his power on Violet. But let me tell you, I totally think Dane had something to do with this, but looking at it from a timeline perspective, it actually doesn't add up, and I think that's going to be one of the big mysteries that gets resolved in the upcoming books. We obviously have now seen multiple official sources that have talked about either Athbine or Somerton before this point. Zayden does not tell Violet about Athbine until page 391. This is after they fooled around, they're cleaning up her room as best as they can, and she wants one honest answer out of him, and he is able to at least tell her the city, but nothing else. The next interaction with Dane, the confirmed facial touch, is at page 405. Yeah, that's only 15 pages apart, but there is a one-month lapse of time that happens between those two incidences. Allegedly, his power is only for short-term memory and skin-to-skin contact, I believe, facial. One, what is considered short-term memory. I guess that would be a month. That information within a month window would make sense. I imagined it a lot shorter with him personally. Maybe that's just the energy he radiates. I didn't think it was that handy of an ability. But then also, could his ability be more powerful? Because if we look at that timeline, because the night of Dane's touch is the morning of the war games, so that's maybe a six to eight hour window max that they would finalize this coup against Zayden, which is possible. And I have a feeling something may have already been in the works, but again, it doesn't add up because the only other time Dane would have had something to give his father or someone else would have been the rebel kids talking by the tree that Violet witnessed and didn't tell anybody. And Dane is such a narc, he wouldn't have sat on that information. And that was at the beginning of the term. It could have been in the works, for nine months now that I say it out loud but that school is so brutal if they just wanted to kill him they would have gotten him killed so anyway I think he had something to do with it I'm not sold to the story that we're being told right now back to the war games and the impossible situation that Zayden finds himself with his team to abandon the town or stand up and fight against the venom and they decide to fight I'm just sounding depressed again this is gonna go really well isn't it <laughs> the attack is brutal the Venon are crazy powerful. And worst of all, Warven are also real, and they brought those to the game. Luckily, Zayden and the team have some support with the Griffin and the Flyers. They are not writers, and they are struggling. They lose solely right off the bat, trying to remove the citizens from the town. So obviously, the most devastating part of this is losing Liam. He and Dave put up 
quite a tough battle. Those Warven were vicious. Luckily, Liam was able to give them some crucial information that helped turn the tide of the battle. If you kill the head venom, you will kill anything that it created. Kind of a chain effect. Vampire Diaries actually did this with the original vampires. So once they figured that out, they were able to prioritize who to kill because they were so hard to kill. Only that special blade that was sitting on Mama Sorengale's desk, conveniently enough, is the only thing that kills them. Oh, except Violet's lightning power does now too, doesn't it? Good for her. They get right back into the fight. Violet has a showdown with a quote-unquote student venom that has a poisoned knife. And Violet's like, oh my god, if this is the student, I don't want to know what the teacher's like. So, unfortunately, this venom is just so crazy fast, and they get a swipe at Violet with this poison. And she said that it was physically disabling, but she was still able to use her magic. And something to note right before this battle with this venom, she made a really interesting comment to Violet that I want to read. Such untapped power. No wonder we were called here. You could command the sky to surrender all its power and I bet you don't even know what to do with it, do you? Riders never do. I'm going to split you open and see where all that astonishing lightning comes from. It's kind of creepy. Almost gross. <laughs> it just further confirms Car's warning that she and Zayden need to be on the right side or they will be taken care of. And what everyone else has been telling her that she will eventually overthrow Zayden as the top writer. And them together, it's going to be iconic. I cannot wait. So it makes me more excited for her ability because we're eventually also going to learn what her signet is with Ann Ardna for when she's an adult. So the poison is hitting her fast, but she is able to wield an excruciating amount of power from Taren and is able to save the day but she practically burns herself out in the process. Then the last chapter, she's kind of in and out of consciousness. Zayden realizes that Vesgaith is going to be too far for them to get her there, so he decides to take her somewhere else. That place is going to be Aredia in the Tyrandor province, currently being rebuilt thanks to Zayden and the rebel team, and she makes it. You know, I think Yaros putting the last chapter from Zayden's POV was actually really brilliant for a lot of reasons. First off, we're not witnessing her memory loss firsthand. I think the fact that Violet lost connection with Taryn for a second is important, and we would have known that information right away, and also probably would have had some idea about Ann Ardna growing up, aging up, whatever is... <laughs> whatever is waiting for us in book two with that. But also I think we genuinely don't know where Violet stands about seeing Brennan's reveal. That last page, we are left with even more questions on what she's thinking and feeling. Once she properly wakes up, gets her memory back, gets cleaned up, she decides to fight with Zayden and the rebels. I think she really took her father's comment to heart along with witnessing all of it firsthand and coming to terms with the lies and betrayal of not only Zayden, but of everything she's ever learned, everything she was going to work for and stand for. And if she didn't need a reason to join the rebels, she finds out that her brother is alive. You know, there was a line that she said just a couple of pages earlier about how you don't keep secrets from those you care about, referencing Zayden, but those are also words that I'm sure will be slung in Brennan's face in book two. I'm really curious, kind of coming back to my comment about how brilliant it was to have Zayden's chapter be the last one, 
and it leaves me wondering where book two is going to start. Obviously, I think we all hope that it's going to be immediately after Brennan reveals himself, but the Aros has this really fun opportunity to even start it with them arriving back at Basgaya, and us as the readers having to piece together where everyone stands, what happened with Brennan, what the current plan is, what her cover is going to be, and I think she's fixing to set up the second book as a dual POV with the introduction of Zayden's perspective too, which I'm excited for. I love that little peek into his brain so far. If that's the case, I'm really gonna look forward to his conversations with Sigail, just one-on-one. -on -one. And with like Taryn, that could be really fun. As for some other hopes and theories for book two, I have to say after I've reread this book in its entirety, I think it'd be really hard to play that Mama Sorengale is going to get a Snape arc. I can't believe I was truly convinced about that in the beginning. It's more and more suspicious not only Brennan's death, but also the decline of her husband's health so soon after Brennan, with all the information we know about his research with feather tales, with his fascination and interest in folklore and that cryptic note that he left for Violet, and then Mama Sorengale having the correct sword to protect herself from the venom, and also knowing that Violet and her father were very close. Like, was she trying to nip that in the bud like she did with Brennan? Nothing about her looks good at this point, and I'm inclined to believe that she is going to be rotten to her core. I think there's a good chance that she learned of Brennan's betrayal and decided to either get a hit job on him or told everyone that he was dead, even though he wasn't. But I don't really have any other theories outside of that right now. I'm really excited to learn more about Violet's father. I think he's going to have a lot more information come through to save her. I'm really curious what his feather tail research entails, what he found out, and when he decided to hide it away. I had said earlier that I think Justinia is going to be huge in the proper historical documentation of this period in time for Navarre. I think Violet will definitely support and encourage that, and it'll be almost a team effort. I am really curious to learn more about the Rebellion kids. I want to learn more about their tattoos, their marks, because I'm really wholly convinced that the dragons did it to truly protect the kids. I had said it earlier that I'm definitely not 100% sold on Dane's treachery at the moment. I'm not doubting that he did it. Nothing is adding up to a point that I can sit there and fully blame him, and I'm very curious to see how how Dane tries to recover his relationship with Violet after Athvine. Really wanted to figure out what the truth is about Brennan's death and Zayden's father's quote-unquote involvement and to learn what Zayden's father's role in Brennan's death actually was and how the two of them were working together. And with more familial connections, I am fascinated to see how Liam's sister Sloane gets introduced and what her initial reactions and feelings are towards Violet. Will she be grateful for Violet and see her as a friend or is she going to treat her as the enemy and blame her for Liam's death? And I think my newest one that I am super curious about, I don't know if that's how this book is going to go, if there is this in this universe. Hearing Zayden talk about Violet when they first met and 
this last chapter with his POV and referencing back to Violet's first interaction with him and the way she felt meeting him the first time. I wonder if it's possible that they are mates. And that could be up for debate whether it's because they're dragons that they're drawn to each other or if this was me beforehand because their attraction, their feelings for each other started at the parapet. So I'll be curious to learn if human mates are a thing along with the dragon mates. And I'm dying to know if there were other mated pairs we don't know of any right now and I would love to know the history of that I'm even more obsessed I can't stop thinking about this ending and I'm so glad I mean this book's coming out in like a week anyway thanks for tuning in I am so excited for the next book I will definitely be doing an episode for book two we will see you for the iron flames episode thanks for listening to today's episode you can follow me on tiktok and instagram at samantha.mave and our podcast instagram confession stand at confession stand underscore podcast for episode updates, book and movie recs, and more. See you next time.